I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. That's serious stuff that we just talked about. I'm trying to be comic relief, so I'm going to move away from it right now. We need markers to remember what God has done in our lives. Uh, here we go. Here we go. I'm glad I'm around somebody to make fun of. <laughs> because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. It's good stuff. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Featuring Angie Ferris. I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Rains Jr., your host for History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. We're glad you're here. Also, producer Wes is here, sometimes known as Wes the Sketch, but we would not have History Through the Eyes of Faith without the amazing content. Of the one and only Dr. Angie Ferris. Say hello, Angie Ferris. Hello, Angie Ferris. Yes. Can I get a little bit more energy? Yes. I don't know hello, if Angie Ferris. Okay. Hello, Angie Ferris. That, that was good. We're glad you're here. It's episode 48. Oop, you've oop, made oop, it. Oop. 48. You've hopefully, maybe you've heard 47 episodes. Maybe you've only heard like five. Maybe you haven't heard any. We're glad you're here. If you want to know what we're going to talk about at a high level, which I've said before on this podcast, the term high level, I say it more often than I should probably, but you can listen to the overview episode. And then there was a, what episode was it recently when I, when you said, this is why we do this? I asked the question. I think it was two back. So we're at 48. I think it was 46. 46. So it's basically like I was thinking about today. If somebody said, what's the podcast about? I would say it's a look at history from the perspective of the Christian faith. That'd be right? No. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. So, um, but we're just. There's a lot of information just about history, whether it's. And then we put it. Then when I think we interpret it through the eyes of faith. That's okay. where we got the name, Eyes of Faith. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is it's like we're trying to tell the whole story of history, not just pull out the parts that we think are relevant. No, to right. Christianity, but it's but, history. Yeah, it's yeah. the history of everything. Maybe, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, which, by the way, I was listening to a comedian um, on a radio show. I was traveling earlier this week, and I was coming back. It doesn't matter where I was. I don't know why that, but I guess because what the comedian was talking about happened to be near where I was, but I wasn't there. It's a um, history museum, like a Christian history museum, like a creation museum or oh, yeah. something in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. What's it called? Well, they have the ark. They built the replica of the ark um, at the same place. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's the creation museum. I think. I think yeah, I think that's what it was called. So this comedian said, and of course he's a secular comedian, not a Christian. He said, "I want to go there." so that I can just make fun of it. That was his whole point. He wanted to go there to make fun of it. and But he went and had an experience like, this is kind of cool. Like, he kind of liked it. But he said, and this is a joke, right? But I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> it says, he goes, the point of the, of the museum was to show that humans and dinosaurs, like, hung out together. And they were cool. <laughs> so I've not gone to this museum 
But the fact yeah. that that might be something that you'd see, like a guy yeah, with a Yeah, there's pet. a lot. They have a lot of stuff on YouTube. Like I've seen a couple of like little snippet tours. Like I think during the pandemic when they were closed, they created videos that were like, okay, we're going to we're going to tour this section or we're going to talk about this topic in the museum. So there's cool stuff on dragons. On dragons. Yes. And I so was what like, is the? I mean, you may not know anything about this museum. Obviously, you might. I know a little bit about it, but not much. But has how much of the museum? Hold up. Oh, my gosh. Poor guy. Well, I got a little meal. Hey, I got me a little popcorn kernel there in my throat, baby. Oh, my goodness. How much of um, the museum? How much of the museum potentially has anything to do with this podcast? How at all would they overlap? I think they'd overlap a lot. Okay. Um, I don't know. I haven't been to the museum. It's called the Creation Museum, so it might just be a lot of things about... Cre creation. I don't know if it's, but I would think they would overlap a lot. Okay. Well, I I, I just I thought of that because I, I know it, it because the the arc is. I guess I'm getting them com combined, but I know that the arc is part of the same complex. It's in the same general area, so you can do both of those. And so I think they're telling a little bit of the story of the Bible. But, but there's also in D.C. a Bible museum. Yeah. Which part is of the Smithsonian, or, right? No, I don't think it's. I think it's independent of the Smithsonian, but it's in in the, the same area in the museum know. network there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just came to my mind that this comedian was talking about <clears throat> history, creation, and it made me think of this podcast and yeah, kind of how. Um, maybe we I mean, should, we maybe haven't we talked. Should, we haven't talked at all about dinosaurs. We should go together. Do maybe a record an episode up well, there. We could. Right? Yeah, that would be kind of. Fun. But we yeah we haven't talked about that. I've asked about dinosaurs to you early on when we talked yeah, in the well, beginning. Go to the and museum your, and find out. And your answer was I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, not going to spend no time talking about dinosaurs. It's well, I should explore what they say there. You know that would be interesting to see yeah. what it says. Yeah. Um. But here we are. Forty eight. Forty seven was about uh around the fourth century about the combination that was kind of just created the 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 holy matrimony of of church and state yeah that's kind of that's a way to talk about it although they weren't officially married no. but constantine becomes a christian and uh, then so you really were going to say that they were officially married like i just said holy matrimony i don't think they're going to marry them I've been using the phrase the marriage of church and state. Okay. And I just want the listeners to understand it was not like an official thing that happened. It was a civil union. It, it was Constantine becomes a Christian and makes then passes a ruling that says it's now no longer punishable to practice Christianity. Later on, toward the end later in the fourth century, there's another emperor mm -hmm. who does say Christianity is the religion of what is Christianity, Christianity is the religion of <laughs> Christianity. Christianity. Oh my word. The religion of the empire. Anyway. That's what we were talking about, episode forty seven. Yes. In how the, the church and state became connected officially in the in the fourth century, and it's been that way ever since. Yeah, until I think we said until the last two to three hundred years, there's been a what was an that attempt. phrase? A reluctant relinquishing. That was the word. Relinquishing, relinquishing that we're using. Also, I wanted to throw in here in listening back to it and thinking about we named it. It is what it is because when you asked me, do you think that was a good move, bad move? 
for the Union of Church and State. And I said, well, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. In thinking about it, as I was listening to it, there really wasn't another option because during the ancient time period, whatever the religion of the ruler or the ruling family was, it was expected that was the religion of everybody else for the most part. There were some empires that came up that allowed people, you know, like if, like for instance, there were people that conquered the Jews that allowed the Jews to continue practicing Judaism. But there was this sense that there was a God of the land, a God of the place, a God of the people, you know, so it would only make sense that if a ruler becomes a Christian, that his people are going to follow in that. Would you say that, like, if the ruler had a certain God, then the people would have the same God? They'd probably, yeah, maybe. Which brings me to... (laughs) Oh my gosh, now what are we pulling out? Well, I actually think this is going better than before. (laughs) Um, What do you mean before? He has a book. The book is called... The Book of Useless Information. Which I so, thought happened to be a good, a good addition getting, to the podcast. getting ready to share some useless information with Are you trying to say the podcast is useless information so that no, book would be a good addition? No, I thought well, my addition to the podcast is typically useless information. <laughs> now I have a whole book that I can apply to it that I was given as a gift several years ago, and I saw it today, and I was like, oh, I can add that. if it." And I didn't think it would, it would actually... Uh, Hold on. I found something. You said something and You uh, were saying the God with the big Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a thing from the book here. And the name of this little section of the book is called uh Rome if you want to. Or has oh, to do I with Rome. You know, it has yeah. to do with Rome and it says uh Trivia is the Roman goddess of sorcery, hounds, and the crossroads. So I just thought that was interesting that Trivia was a goddess. I didn't know that. Trivia. Trivia. The goddess trivia. The goddess trivia. So that was a little bit of this. But before we get any further, I, I remembered something that I that I wanted to make sure I added on this episode because it sometimes we record a couple at a time or two or three at a time, and then we wait a couple weeks and record a couple more or three more. So it's been a little while since we were right. together. Mm-hmm. So some things have we've experienced different things in our in our personal worlds that um um that I want to share. One uh I'm a James Bond fan. And and really I'm not a James Bond nut. Like I don't know all the different I just like the character James Bond and I like the movies of James Bond. I haven't read any of the books. I watched the the last five with Daniel Craig have been my favorite. So I've gone back and began to watch the others. I've got a room in the house that I call the Bond Room, and I've got all these posters of the different movies. And I, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. You know, mm-hmm. which is kind of what's happened. Well, anyway, I watched um, uh, the second James Bond film that that came out. Sean Connery as James Bond. It came out in I think the early '60s. And it was from Russia with Love was the name of yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen that. And um, in the movie, the uh, he has to go to Turkey to investigate the Russians, and he goes to the English, uh, the English uh, what do you call it consulate? What do you call the, the uh, embassy? Embassy in the British is, embassy. The yeah. British in, embassy in Istanbul. Okay, which we've been talking about. All right, in the podcast. And so he's at the British embassy in Istanbul, and there's a bombing, and uh, he's the the British consulate is like, here, follow me, and 
opens up this secret door and he goes in and they're underneath and it's uh, all this water and they get in these little boats. It's all these old columns and stuff. And Sean Connery's like, nice place you have here. And the other guy says, yeah, uh, Emperor Constantine built this as, as a reservoir in the, about 1600 years ago. And I thought, hmm, I'm going to do the math. 1960s, 1600 years, would be around 300 and something. So, yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about Constantine. Yeah. And he reservoirs underneath. So they use this these reservoirs to get in these boats and they go like, it shows them go on the boats in the dark, you know. But I'm like, well, there's light. How is there light? But anyway, it's a movie. And they go underneath the Russian oh, office. Mm-hmm. And they have a periscope that of goes course, up yeah. and looks in there and listens to the people talking about what they're going to do. Oh. So I just thought it was interesting that Emperor Constantine built these as reservoirs 1,600 years ago. Yeah. was a line in the movie. And it, it's like, yeah, that's true. It is. It all starts coming together. Mm-hmm. Get reference points. So that happened during our break from recording. What's been going on with you? Well... I think you remember we were heading out on a trip. Yes, you were going to do the van camping. Yes, which was fun. Is, is that a term? Should that be hashtag van camp? Yeah, I guess it is a term. People do it. But it means some people have like, uh, what do they call them? Um, like the Amazon truck delivery vans. What's that called? It's a, there's, a sprinter. No, there's a word for the kind of van. box truck. You, it's not a utility. It's a. Anyway, people get those kind of vans and deck them out on the inside. You know, we just have our minivan. And Toyota Sienna? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I think it's a Honda Odyssey. Yes. Bigger, more space, more room for the mattress. Anyway, it was great. We had fun. We went over to the um, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, spent some time. And I grew spent some time in my childhood in East Tennessee. So we used to go camping in the park every fall. Did you go with us? Were I, you... At some point, I did. I remember as a little little boy. Yeah, very being young. in the little cre- the cold creeks and the windy creeks. Yeah, so, and it yeah. was just so fun. I loved it. So I'm pretty familiar with the western side of the park, the Great Smoky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, is in Tennessee and North Carolina. So it crosses the state line. So you know, think of Gatlinburg, Dollywood, Pigeon that's, Forge. That's over on the west side, on the over west in side. Tennessee. And then you got Cherokee, North Carolina, the Cherokee uh, Reservation over there on the east side. It's still a reservation? Oh, yeah. I didn't know there was a Cherokee Reservation. Yeah. And so, anyway, so we spent the first night on the west side, spent the day in the park, came out and spent the second night in a campground in Cherokee. And I'm, But you're still in the Honda Odyssey. Yeah. Not a Cher- It's not a Cherokee. You're not in a Jeep Cherokee. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> the look was are you really going to keep interrupting me with dumb stuff <laughs> anyway there was a portion of the park that we had not been to Tim had heard about it because of his uh, hiking buddies and I mean photography buddies that was to the west of Cherokee where you just entered the park like on a little road and had some waterfalls and all that we went over there did a little waterfall walk and had a picnic lunch, and then I heard about this place called the Cataloochee Valley, and so I had never heard of it before. And it was a great. It was on their. I have not either. It was on their auto. Well, it does sound vaguely familiar. Yeah, just a little bit. It was on their auto tour. 
guide thing. And I was like, and it said that it was like the most populated area of the park at the time when the park bought all the land from the people who owned it and created the park. And it had like 1,200 residents and it had the most existing structures. So there's like a house and a, two or three houses, a school, a barn, you know, things that you can tour and see. And I was like, oh, I want to go see that. And so we were planning that into the day. So my dad's always asking me, like, how many miles is it to such and such? And how many? I never pay attention to miles. I pay attention uh, to, yeah. I throw it in the GPS and I look at time. I our, just look, our dad, by the way, if you're a new listener, you might not know Angie and I are siblings. But our dad would say, I'm at mile marker 621. You're about mile marker. What exit? Uh, exit 242. I don't know what exit is. I know yeah, what the it's sign like, says. It's like, yeah. And always has a road atlas in the side of his chair, right? Yeah. So anyway, I just know that we have time to do it because it's an hour and 11 minutes over there. But you know how many miles? We should have caught on. Should have caught on. Because it was an hour and 11 minutes to go 37.8 miles. Was it, were you having car trouble? No. That's <laughs> what the GPS said. Now... I was also it, should have been paying attention. Was it to, walking? No, it was driving. <laughs> I should have been paying attention to the description in the little brochure about the valley because it says it's nestled among some of the most rugged mountains in the southeastern United States, surrounded by 6,000-foot peaks. This isolated valley and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, so they talk about, in the brochure, they talk about the roads in the valley and that part of it's not gravel, but most vehicles can handle it. You know, don't worry about it. Mm -mm. But yeah, we got a map. If Wes can throw up the map of that's the road. It's nothing but switchbacks. You essentially wow. drive up 6,000 foot peak and then go down the other side. No, and that you didn't have any clue that was what you were going to do. No, because we weren't paying attention. Had you had a clue, would you have gone anyway? I don't know. That's a good question for Tim. He was driving. He's pretty white knuckled. Because Cause you could see where you were going and coming and like, and it wasn't really like a lot of it was gravel. No. Yeah. A lot of it was gravel and there wasn't mm -mm. room for two cars on it. No. So you had to be watching that net switch back to see if somebody was coming so you could wait to go. Mm -mm. The, yeah. Well, this has given me a little, what do you call it when you have a trauma flashback? What do you call that? PTSD. PTSD. This has given me a little PTSD. Oh. Well. From what you had a part in. About six years ago. Well, it did remind me. That drive did remind me about what I think you're fixing to talk about. Six years ago, we were in Colorado Springs for your son's graduation from the Air Force Academy. Mm -hmm. And she says, you got to go up to Pop Pikes Peak. It's amazing. And I can see Pikes Peak. It's really a beautiful mountain. Right. <clears throat> the highest one in the area. Yeah, and the p house we were renting had this gorgeous view of it. Like, it was gorgeous. No, like, you got to go up there. I'm like, all right. And it said, you know, it's in the summer, so that you can drive up there now. I'm like, oh, <clears throat> okay. So we drive to the type, top of Pikes Peak. And it will be the only time I ever do that. <laughs> because you, you're driving, and you're like, oh, this is beautiful, and this is nice, and it was a calm, really pretty day. Uh, blue skies, and as you're going, you get to a guard shack where they, you know, there's like parking and like a, a, another entryway. And you're now getting to another part of the national park, and they say, "Yeah, how many? 
you know, they, they it's kind of a little check-in, and they're just like, yeah, well, it's Did open they check up. the air in your tires? I don't know, maybe. They check mine, going uh, up and coming down. And again, not a, I'm not thinking this is an issue. I'm like, okay, great, we're good. We're driving up. And as we get closer to where I can see in the distance the top of the mountain is, the landscape is changing. Yeah. The trees are becoming below the road. Yeah, because you go above well, the tree so line. Above the tree line. So Do now you all know what that means? Above the tree line means at a certain elevation, trees don't grow. Okay, that should have been a clue. At certain elevations, trees, trees don't, don't grow. grow. Except people are now driving above it <laughs> in a car. You just wait until I tell you something. You're going to be so surprised. So then it's the road and sky. <laughs> a lot of times the road, sky is in front of you. Yeah. Like you think you're going to fall off. Because you're going to turn, but in front of you, it's not like the road and a shoulder to pull off or the road and a guardrail. It is the road and clouds. And I was freaking out. I was going really slow thinking if I have some sort of unplanned seizure and this car just kind of goes four feet to the right, then we're, it, I can't even talk about it really. If, yeah, it's so it, freaky. I do recommend taking the train, y'all. There is a train. You can go. It's 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 really nice. Anyway, we get to the top, and and it, the the thing I want to do the quickest was leave because I just and they have I a need nice to, gift shop up there, cafe. Mm -hmm, they do, and I'll, I'll, and I'll add that little bit of info to those that if you're going up there, and you make it to the top, get the donuts, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Apparently, they're fantastic because of the elevation and where they make them. You can't get them anywhere fluffy, else. fluffy, just amazing. I didn't try any because I didn't know this until I get to the bottom and Angie <laughs> says, oh, did you try the donuts? I'm like, no, why? She's like, well, because they're, they're so good up there because of the elevation. They're like the best. Well, I'm never going to be back up there. <laughs> okay, so we drove. Did we drive? No, we took the train. We were out there 10, 12 years ago. 15 years ago, we took the train. It was the four of us, my husband, my daughter, my son. Okay. We get up there and we have all these stories about the thin air and not being able to put a sentence together and all that stuff. But the the road was not open that day. You know why? They have a car race on it. I was about it. to tell you that. I looked that up. We were after there I, for the car race. After, mm -mm. People after flying I, mm -hmm. in these little race cars up the side of that mountain. But they're not racing each other it's a timed race yeah but still yeah i'm saying because when i first heard it, i'm like what there's a race because i was when I, when I got back to civilization and i got back to tennessee <laughs> i went on youtube and i'm like i gotta show people this drive so i took some video but i, I, I was thinking of just staying alive <laughs> yeah it's and then i heard that there's a timed race to get to the top yeah listen i drove it once with our mom Mm, we were okay. out there for something that Josh was doing at the academy. And, and what did she say? <laughs> oh, she didn't bother her at all. <laughs> I was no. driving. Mm -mm. Look, we get to the gate, and I'm like, okay, let's get. So we bought the CD that you put in your player so you get information about the mountain while you're going up, which I was so glad I oh, did. I don't know if but, I could have done that. No, because I, did, I couldn't talk. Mm -mm. I couldn't. I couldn't talk. But here's the I thing. really can't talk about it anymore right okay, now. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this a little bit, and we'll quit. We drive up to the guard gate to get started. They just opened it like 30 minutes earlier because the winds had died down enough to let people. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, Wes was in the car, and I think he has a video somewhere on his phone of videoing me freaking out. It's like I can't. Mm -mm. 
It, it is something, no. but the train ride's great, y'all. So how do how we it? segue our conversation of Pike's Peak? Because we're now deep into episode 48. Um, mountains. And we, and we got to get to some content. Mountains. So, okay, mountains. Mountains are geographical barriers quite often for countries and and preventing invaders and natural way of protection. And so, yeah, so just like... It's so picking back up in the fourth century. Yes. Mountains. There, there are lots of mountains around, not all the way around, but you'll see a lot of sea and a lot of mountains as territory dividing in the Roman Empire. I wanted Wes to throw up a picture. This is um the map of Europe and the Near East in the year 362. And you'll see in dark outline the Roman Empire, which we... They're not going to see. Well, we'll post... You will see. And we'll post it up on social media. Um, but the reason I wanted to put up this particular picture... We're going to come back. This is from a book called the... Um, let's see. The New Penguin Atlas of Medieval History. Penguin is a publisher. Okay. So the New Penguin Atlas of Medieval uh, History. I, I, that calmed me down. I'm like, a penguin put this together? <laughs> And so what we're going to see as we go through this is that we're going to use this same map as far as a picture of the land masses and the water, the same picture, but drawing different boundaries as the boundaries change. Okay. So here it is in 362, which is several years after the death of Constantine. And you can see the tribes, ethnicities that are north and east of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So the Roman Empire pretty much well, takes up all the land mass of what we call Europe, Mm -hmm. And then the northern coast of Africa, and then what we now call a lot of the the western part of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. But then you can see in the north, like in the Scandinavian countries around like where, uh, north of where Germany and such would be now, a lot of the area that, um, yes, is involved. I'm in confused because I see the Roman Empire, and I see that boundary there with those groups of people that live on that other side, is that boundary then a mountain that's keeping them separate? Some of that boundary is a mountain. Yes, some of it is. So the Ostrogoths, uh, the Visigoths, the um, Slavs, the Balts, lots of probably, what, 10, 12, 15 different mm -hmm. groups around there in 362. Now, what we're going to see happens is that if you remember, and, and I think we'll come to this again in a minute, the Roman Empire had been divided before Constantine for management purposes, and then Constantine brought it all back under him, and then it becomes divided again by some later emperors that come after Constantine. So we're going to start talking about the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. Okay. And we're going to see that in maps and pictures in a minute. But we're talking about how the Western Roman Empire is beginning to break up. Okay. These are between the years. The years I'm talking about now are between 362 and 475. Okay. All right. Um, and we're going to talk about some reasons why they're breaking up. First, Rome's economy is falling apart because the plunder has been spent. What's the plunder? What is plunder? What they were able to gain from growing the empire. From the, the, the capturing other places, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're no longer taking other places, and what they brought back has been spent. So their economy kind of depended on that. Hmm. And, and so the economy's falling apart. But they still have to pay the army, because the army is what's protecting all that border that we're seeing. And... 
So they have to raise taxes in order to pay the army. And unemployment is up in the cities. So that's not going great. So the citizens are demanding that the government entertain and provide for them, which they've always done. So everything's fallen apart now. The emperor's moved. So the emperor's not even in the city anymore, right? He's over in Constantinople, yeah. not in Rome. Right. Um, so it's because he's so far away, it's easier to trade and negotiate with neighboring tribes than to get a response from the emperor. So if you're living up there in that western part of the Roman Empire, up toward the north, where you've got all those tribes just across the line, Mm -hmm. it's easier to work out deals with them if they're giving you a hard time than to wait to hear from the emperor because he's so far away anyway. Right, right. right. So, And most soldiers in the Roman army were Germans, and most of the invading tribes were Germanic tribes. So, see, they had been hiring people as they conquered them. So a lot of the people Why that, were they... Okay, I got thrown off. Why were they called Germans? That's just one of the ethnicities, okay? And it's probably a family of um, ethnicities that are called Germanic. Okay. Right? I didn't... Again, Frank, not Western civilization. That's another family, the Franks. Mm, well, we didn't need any... Well, no, they're going to come up in a minute, too. So so the point being that the people in the army are related to the people that they're trying to keep out. Which might or might not work, right? Be difficult. Right. So we have a... um, can I tell you something? Wait, I'm, I'm interrupting your thought. Yes. Let me keep, so let keep, me go. Let me thought. go through some more reasons. Another reason that the Western um, Empire is breaking up is because the split of governing the empire, um, once again after Constantine, somewhat after his last son ruled, <laughs> the next emperor came in and split the empire again. Okay. So because of that, a lot of times the um, the in addition to the fact that the empire was split into west and east, keep. I don't know what has happened, but he is laughing so hard he can't breathe. Keep your train of thought, please. It's hard because it has nothing to do with what you're saying. Okay, all right. This part of the episode, I'm going to just indulge here for a second. I was checking something unimportant. I'm listening to you, but the thought that went through my mind was, "What if?" We started laughing and we couldn't stop. And so that made you laugh. And it made me think, that's funny. And then I started laughing. And and I thought, we've not had that happen. So Well, we've had it happen around content a little bit, yeah, but not, but d- just, not just out of the blue. No. So, Which is good. Maybe we won't have it happen now. Now we won't have it happen now. But yeah. So the go- the the empire is split for governance purposes, right? So the the hey, I'm going to be over here in Constantinople. This is the Eastern Emperor, and then you have a Western Emperor. And that was on purpose. Yes. Okay. And there was not a clear line of se- imperial secession. It wasn't clear yeah, because who if was you had the- two. Well, it wasn't clear even when you had one. The whole history of the Roman Empire it was never really clear who the next emperor is going to be. Sometimes it was their son. Sometimes it was the guy that won the next battle. Listen, listen to these statistics. Of the 70 emperors to rule Rome between 14, which was Augustus the first one, and 395 A.D., more died of assassination, 23, than of natural causes, 20, and that's not even including those who were possibly assassinated, eight, executed, 
three, or forced to commit suicide, five. A further nine. Well, let's go back. How many were forced to commit suicide? Five. Five. Potentially assassinated, how many? <laughs> Eight. Are Eight. we going to have to no, add these up? I want to add them up because they should have added them up. He said there were 70 of the 70. Right. Okay. Of the 70, he said 20 were assassinated. 23 were assassinated, mm-hmm. 20 natural causes, eight possibly assassinated, okay, three executed, 34. five su- suicide, and nine, 39. nine deaths what? on the ba- battlefield. 45. So that's 45 of the 70. No, that's it's where not. I'm going. 23 and 20 is 43 alone. It's not worth getting <coughs> off on all this, okay? No, it's not a good statistic. 20 Listen, died of national causes. 23 assassinated. Plus 20 with natural causes. That's 43 right there. Yeah, I'm not taking, I'm not counting the 20 of natural causes because I want to know how many were, how many died. Okay, so then you just take 20 away from 70 and it's 50. Okay, I said 43. (laughs) Hope y'all enjoyed that. This is a better statistic. 50 is a high percentage of 70 instead of saying 23. Okay, point being. Yeah. There was not a clear line of secession. <laughs> who knew what was going to happen to right. you? And who More was going to come More than likely, and... it was not going to be good. Right. So that created instability. Then the fact that you've got the it split, right? Mm-hmm. There wasn't a stable government now with any might to protect them. Okay, because of this economic situation... Because that the soldiers were closer related to the people they were fighting with, fighting against, than the people for whom they were fighting, because they were so far removed from the emperor, people didn't feel stable. So the stable citizens, like these Roman, what used to be the Roman elite, what used to be the foundational families in the city that would normally pull together and make something happen, started moving to the country and built estates in the country where they could protect themselves Mm And peasants came and worked for them, which this is now sowing the roots for feudalism. Oh, I need to know what feudalism is. You, you don't know that. Feudalism well, is, the whole, point, is the whole system of the Middle Ages lords and kings and knights <clears throat> and all that. And we'll talk about that when we get further Guess into Guess what I just got excited about? What? Monty Python. Okay, here we go. Let's don't go there yet. I'm so, not. I'm just excited that now I get to use all of that <laughs> in the Middle Ages. Yeah, well, when we get further into the Middle Ages, we will be discussing feudalism. I think it's interesting to see how that got started. Okay? Mm-hmm. And part of it was the Roman elites moving out into the countryside. That wouldn't be true for all I'm, of Europe, but that's part of that. Okay? So I want to read some. Just for the listeners, I'm very excited to memorize a scene from the Holy Grail that will apply looks like in the next few episodes okay i want to um read some stuff from the silk roads okay remember that book so the world this is i think tremendously interesting the world was entering a period of environmental change in europe this was evidenced by rising sea levels and the emergence of malaria in the north sea region so we can look back and learn that okay while in Asia, from the start of the 4th century, there was sharply reduced salinity salt in the Aral Sea, which marked different vegetation. There was markedly different vegetation on the steppes. Okay, that was that area of plains and fields 
on the other side of the mountains where a lot of the silk roads were that um and they measured that that was evident from high resolution pollen analysis so they could tell that there was markedly different vegetation on the steppes and new patterns of glacier advances in a particular range of mountains all show fundamental shifts in global climate change so what happens when where you live and raise crops or graze your animals becomes too cold for you to live in there anymore you gotta move and if you move, the people that you move out of the way have to move. And the people that they move out of the way have yeah. to move. And so so this chaotic situation created the perfect conditions for the mosaic of steppe tribes, all those tribes we saw on that picture, to some of them to consolidate. And these peoples inhabited the belts of land that linked Mongolia with the plains of Central Europe. So that's that steppe area where control of the best grazing land and of reliable water supply guaranteed considerable political power. One tribe now established themselves as masters on the steppes, crushing all before them, and they were known as the Zhongnu, better known to in the West as the Huns. The Huns. Okay. Between hmm. about 350 and 360, there was a huge wave of migration as tribes were shunted off their lands and driven westward. This was most likely caused by climate change, which made life on the steppe exceptionally harsh and triggered intense competition for resources. The impact was felt from Bactria in northern Afghanistan right up to the Roman frontier on the Danube, where refugees began to appear in large numbers begging to be allowed to resettle on imperial territory after being driven off their lands north of the Black Sea by the advancing Huns. Mm -hmm. So if the folks who were living over the border of the Roman Empire are now begging to be allowed in to the Roman Empire to settle because they're being pushed out, they're being pushed out. So it's causing and I think it's interesting that at least this author attributes that to climate change. A lot of the reason that all this movement started. So this is the Silk Roads. Yes. Which as a backup, when when do you think we first, what episode or how long ago I don't know. did we bring up the Silk Roads? I don't know. It was a long time well, ago. It was after, probably after we left the scriptures, but maybe not. Can not I go not. back to my book of useless information real quick? <laughs> yeah, you can go. We'll because, give you one more go. Because you you threw a, the slide up there and you showed all the different areas, the steps, yeah. which would be those tribes above or tribes or people. Yeah, some that, of them weren't in the steps, but some of them But were. to the right, to yeah. the far east of Rome was still the Persian Empire. Right. Book of, book of useless information. Mm -hmm. There was a Pony Express in Persia many centuries before Christ, this book says. Riders on this ancient circuit wearing special colored Headbands delivered the mail across the vast stretch of Asia Minor, sometimes riding five, sometimes riding for hundreds of miles without a break. Yep. That would make sense. So. Because you know they were communicating. We, yeah. we heard about that because that would be back like during the Persian Empire prior to Christ. Yeah. Assyrian Empire, Babylonian Empire, all back there. We know they were communicating. So I, that I, I just saw on the screen the Persian and I was like, oh, yeah, that's another uh, useless information that I found in my book. Okay. But it's not really useless if it applies to this podcast. So that one was actually useful. Yeah. Previously, the northern lip of the Black Sea and the steppe land stretching deep into Asia had been regarded as 
barbarous, filled with fierce warriors and empty of civilization or resources. It had not crossed Rome's mind that these regions could act as arteries, just like the routes linking the west with the east through Persia and through Egypt. These very regions were now about to deliver death and destruction in the very heart of Europe. So there were arteries where you could come through, and some of those were in the mountains that are to the east of the, um, I believe that is the Caspian Sea. No, it's the Black Sea. You can see it on the map right there. Mm -hmm. um, over on modern-day Turkey, over that way, where, mm -hmm. where there was a couple of uh, passes that people knew about and tribes could come through there. So part of the defense becomes, as we go forward, blocking those passes, trying to block those passes. But try, So now Rome is split and weakening and having to fight these invaders from the north. Would okay? one, of the invaders, one, one of the invaders be named Attila? Yeah, we're getting there. Yep. Okay. Getting there. So let's throw up the map of uh, 406 so you can kind of see... That a, a picture of what I was talking about. So if we can make it a little bit bigger. Um, you see the Huns now have taken over a lot of that area. And you can see how the Visigoths and the Vandals have come through into the Roman Empire and settled even all the way down into Italy. And some of that is not settling. Some of that is conquering and fighting their way mm -hmm. okay and we also see in this picture the division of the eastern and the western so pretty yeah. much the west is like west of of including the boot of italy and then west of that um and the east would be turkey greece so i, I don't want to i don't want to jump too far ahead here but i'm excited to see or at least i'm seeing a glimpse of the fall of the Roman Empire. Yes. Of what's a what's coming. Yes. And so this is 400 AD. 406, yeah, in that picture, yeah. Can I even ask about what year the Roman Empire is done? Or should I already know Well, that? there's not really a clear answer to that because the Western and the Eastern become two different things. It's kind of a cool story to tell. So I just get to, I just look forward it's to that. It's soon. The Western is soon. Okay. And, and... I kind of hate to put a date on it because when you hear what happened, you'll understand why it's hard to put a date on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it gets talked about a lot in history class as if there was a date, but I think that's an oversimplification. Okay. I'm going to ask a quick question, Wes, producer Wes, can you take that screen away? Okay. That's all I needed to know. Cause I was just, it was making me a little nervous. Making a little nervous to have the whole screen. Up a little there. nervous, baby. So that's 406. Okay. So this is kind of an interesting story here. Persia and Rome were united by a common interest in repelling the barbarians, hordes that were coming through. So they formed an alliance now. So that would be the Eastern Empire, right? Mm -hmm. To keep the nomads from descending through the Caucasus, a massive fortified wall was constructed, running for nearly 125 miles between the Caspian and the Black Seas. So that landmass between the Caspian and the Black Seas, which is the eastern part of Turkey now, a wall was built 125 miles to prevent 
to try to, to build a barrier between the ordered world to the south and the chaos to the north. Studded with 30 forts evenly spaced along its length, the wall was also protected by a canal 15 feet deep. It was a marvel, marvel of architectural planning and engineering built with standardized bricks made in scores of kilns installed on the site. No. The Go keep going. The fortification was manned by some thirty thousand troops housed in garrisons that were set back from the wall itself. So, I don't. I don't know if you don't have your pointer, but I'm just curious where the Caspian Sea is in that map, because you're talking about a wall south of the Black Sea. No, to the east. So, so like you see, the Black Sea is the sea above Turkey. Yeah, and the Caspian Sea is the next one to the right. The sea to the right. Yes. On so the it's other a, side of like a, Afghanistan now and yeah of Turkey. I can't see that it's turned and I can't read the names of okay, the yeah. countries. But that landmass between the Black and the Caspian is they put a wall, a wall across going that, from east to, to west. Yes. Okay. 125 miles because these people are coming from all in what is now Russia mm-hmm. and Ukraine and Belarus, Ka- Kazakhstan. And, yeah. So. You know, they're coming from from north of the Black Sea, and and you know that's not a bad idea. I think it might be good if, if America had a wall. <laughs> okay, if yeah. we had a wall, that that's was, a unique idea. That was Frank. made very very. How did you say they made the wall very well? Right? Yeah, architecture. What was the wall, word? Yeah, mm-hmm. the best wall. I can't do it, Trump. Dang it. Okay, got to work on it. So. Rome not only agreed to make regular financial contributions to the maintenance of this Persian wall, but also, according to several contemporary sources, supplied soldiers to help defend it. In a sign of how past rivalries, because there had been past rivalries between the Roman Empire and Persia, had been set to one side, in 402, the Emperor Honorius in Constantinople in Constantinople, appointed none other than the Shah, which would have been the Persian ruler, to act as a guardian to his son and heir. So they were like buddies. That's some so, evidence that they were buddies. So Eastern Rome and Persia. Persia. Yeah, okay. Go in together. But by that time, it was too late as far as Rome was concerned. Displacement across the steppes north of the Black Sea had created a perfect storm that led to the empire's frontiers on the Rhine being overwhelmed, which would be back on that northwestern part of of uh, the Western Empire, okay? Mm-hmm. So the frontiers there are being overwhelmed. A series of the raids. The Rhine is the river. Right. And is what major city does the Rhine go through? Oh, 20 questions. Is it Paris? No, that's the, that's the uh, Tiber River. And the Danube is in Austria. The Rhine is in Germany, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But we can look that up. Um, a series of raids in the late 4th century cleaved Rome's western provinces wide open. Cleaved them wide open, with tribal leaders gaining personal kudus from military successes as well as material gains that drew in more followers and gave fresh momentum to further attacks. Kudos, that was the word, not kudos or whatever I said, mm-hmm. kudos. Okay, so here they come, in from the north. The As the imperial army struggled to make a stand against the attacking hordes, one wave after another crashed through the empire's defenses, leading to the devastation of the province of Gaul, which is like modern-day France, Germany, yeah. Okay. 
So things went from bad to worse when Alaric, a particularly effective and ambitious leader, marched his tribe of Visigoths down through Italy and camped outside Rome to bully the city into buying him off. As the Senate desperately tried to do so, he grew tired of being stalled and in 410 stormed and sacked the city. Of Rome. Yeah. So if you if we go back to that last map that we had up there in 406, you can see that the Visigoths are coming way down into Italy. They got mm -hmm. a little path going all the way down in through there and actually sacked Rome in 410. But it was just a visiting sack. It wasn't a takeover. And when did we come up with the term sack? We I don't know. Sack Rome. You always have these questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't know what that. Well, I mean, even uh, here, I, I want to get way ahead on my. See the Monty see Python. the arrows in that picture coming down through there, on the. No, mm -hmm. that's over on the. That's a, so you can see that's in four oh six. You can see them moving around, but they haven't made it down. They're across the ocean. They're across the water from mm -hmm. the boot of Italy, and then coming back around. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Okay, yeah. so when Rome was uh, sacked, shock resonated across the Mediterranean. In Jerusalem, the news was met with disbelief. And this is a quote from Jerome. Remember who Jerome was? A historian. No, no, that was Josephus. Jerome no. was the one that translated the Bible into Latin, the Latin Vulgate. We mentioned mm -hmm. him, I think, in a little, two episodes back or the last episode. Yeah. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. So... The speaker's voice failed and sobs interrupted his speech, wrote St. Jerome. The city that had conquered the whole world had itself been conquered. Who could believe it? Who could believe that Rome, built up through the ages by the conquest of the world, had fallen, that the mother of nations had become their tomb? At least the city was not torched. Burning or not, Rome's empire in the West now fell apart. Soon Spain was being ravaged, attacked by tribes such as the Islands whose homelands lay far away between the Caspian and Black Seas and whose trade in sable skins had first been carefully charted by commentators writing in China nearly two centuries earlier. Another tribal grouping, the Vandals, who had been displaced by the Huns, reached Roman North Africa by the 420s, taking control of the principal city, Carthage, as well as the vibrant and lucrative surrounding provinces that supplied most of the western um, half of the empire. So I, I have a picture, another picture for four of four twenty, where you can see the movement of these folks. Um, at this point, the vandals were not yet set up in. Um, are you going to throw that one up there, West? The four twenty. The um, vandals are not yet set up in. Northern Africa in Carthage. Okay. Um, so, so we don't need we don't need the the yeah, visual at, right now. Yeah, at the, as if this were not bad enough. In the middle of the fifth century, having flushed forward a hodgepodge of tribes, Goths, Alans, Vandals, some other ones I can't pronounce, four or five other names, and others besides the Huns themselves appeared in Europe led by the most famous figure of late antiquity, Attila. So here we go. Yeah. So that was by the middle. So I'm just going to show you. So that you he's, can, got, he's got it up there. Okay, now. so there's 420. 420. So you can, hey, and you can see guys. how those Visigoths and Vandals are moving all around inside what is now mm -hmm. Spain, France. And you can see how part of Spain is now outside of the 
mm-hmm. Western, and part of France is outside of the Western Empire. And then if you throw up the next one, West, yeah, the, he just did the four fifty one. You can actually see how the kingdom of the Vandals is now on the north shore of Africa, where Carthage is, mm-hmm. and look how much Attila has come down into what we now consider Europe. Yeah, pushing down through like into Austria, and down through what is now Germany. So. We'll have these available for you to look at up on um, Instagram and so that you can see what's happening on these maps. But visually before us, we see the Western Roman Empire crumbling. Yeah, in the late 5th century, mid mid to late 5th century. Yeah. Huh. How about that? Yep. <laughs> Roman Empire falling like that. And, and Attila the Hun. Here's something. I'll just go ahead and say this right now. Right now we're calling the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. In a way, the Roman Empire continues for hundreds of years after that because the Eastern Empire doesn't fall for a very long time. Okay. Okay. But us being Westerners, we being Westerners, we talk about the fall of the Roman Empire. What we're really talking about is the... The division. The dissolution. Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah of the dissolving of the Western part of the empire to the point that it doesn't exist anymore. We're not to that point yet, but we're getting there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we're, okay. we're getting also to the end of 47. 48. 48. Way past the end of 47. We're almost <laughs> to the end of 48. 48. And Frank has brought a gift bag. Mystery bag, a mystery bag. Now it's time for Mystery bag. He's bringing I brought the show. a mystery bag. It's white. Yeah, yeah mystery bag. Probably bag. at some point you'll hear the theme. And yeah, so I thought I would do my part and bring a mystery bag to the studio for Thank this episode. You. Now, it's a teaser. Okay. It's a teaser that we can discuss in 49. Okay. But we can do the mystery bag now if you'd like. Oh, so we're going to tease for 49? No, we. I think we need to do the mystery bag, and then you'll see. Oh, okay. Okay, we might need producer Wes's help to get the bag. Well, I can get it. You want me to give you the bag? Sure. Okay. Sure, so it's a it's a pretty nice size bag, guys. It's like a, a little larger than average gift bag. Seems very light. Yes, it's very light. Frank handed it to me. It's it's very carefully decorated and packed with plastic bags. So you don't have to, you have to guess like we did before, like we always guess. Okay, guess. So, um, is it something you eat? Yes. Oh, that was a good first guess. Yeah. Um, uh, is, am I supposed to guess particular things? You can, I mean, you can might want to guess. I mean, it is something you eat, so you can guess particular things, and then we Did can... you make it? No. Oh, you purchased it. No. It was a gift. Yes. Somebody else made it. I would hope so. It exists. They made it in their home, like a homemade gift? I don't gift? know where it was made. Oh, wow. So, and it came to you somehow. Mm-hmm. Somebody brought it to you? No. No. You just found it on the side of no, the road. No, it was given to me. Hey, here, you can have this. Oh, they okay. They didn't bring it. I guess they brought it to me, but it wasn't like they came from a distance. And Sounds gave kind it. of unsafe. I think it's safe. <laughs> I think it's safe. Because it, it's something that could have been purchased, but it wasn't purchased. It was given. Oh, okay. So is it packaged as if you went in the store and bought it? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, okay. Yeah. Is it savory? Or no. is it sweet? Sweet. It's sweet. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to open it? I'll say that it is uh, super sweet. It's super sweet. Oh, does it have something to do with Elvis? It does. Oh, it's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, is it? No, which would be peanut butter and banana. Peanut butter and banana, that's right. But you can now. You can now dig in there. Mm. It's not big. <laughs> it is all as an Elvis cookie. Yeah. It has his likeness on the cookie. Yeah. What does it say on the back? There's a little sticker on the back I didn't it see. It says Triple Crown Bakery. Oh, really? Mm hmm. So that's local. Triple Crown is in Franklin. Well, who gave it to you? Well, as we may discuss on the next episode. Oh, okay. So that's the teaser. It's Yeah, I think that's a good teaser where the, where the uh, cookie came from. Yeah. I can tell you where the cookie came from on episode 49. Which it's a good story. I bet it is. I didn't realize that came from Triple Crown. Pretty cool. I had one of those. I've eaten one. Oh. So I know that it's safe. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. So when we get into episode 49, we will discuss the Elvis cookie. The Elvis cookie and some cool information okay. about migration and languages and tribes and that kind of stuff, too, as we're beginning to look at the dissolution of the Western Roman Empire. What were you imitating when you did that? Because I was, that was just a, trying was, to get all that. I don't know. I was, was just trying, pretty to, <laughs> trying to get through the words. And then it Way went back here. All right. Well. Episode 48 made it to existence. And we will see you on episode 49. Thanks for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast, brought to you by One Thing Only. For more information and related content, head over to onethingonly.org and click on History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. There you will find related content, as well as a way to ask questions and make comments. We want to hear from you. You can find us on all your streaming podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again.